It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. And good morning, everyone. I want to be able to do uh, my uh, John Oliver, <laughs> except nobody can see the tabletop, so it doesn't matter uh, oh. a- anyway. So I forgot about him. You know, I haven't watched him in a long time because uh, I cut the cable and uh, didn't get, uh, I don't don't have HBO anymore, um, although yeah. occasionally I'll watch him on, uh, on the used tubes and, um, you know. Or, or when it, it'll pop up sometimes, like, oh yeah, I haven't seen that one. Maybe I need to, uh, to take a look at it. Uh, still but, on Sunday nights, get the the notice popping up on on Comcast of John Oliver's on. Do you want to watch or record? Except I don't have HBO, but I can't get rid of the message. Well, guess what? I don't have Comcast anymore. Wait a second. Let's. Yeah, you bet that gets a ding. <laughs> In fact, that gets that gets another ding, and. And that gets a, ah, <laughs> uh, come on, where's the one that uh, works? I know I've got one that works. Uh, wait, wait. Hello, everybody. Mike's it's busy a... looking for noisemakers right now. Oh, there no. we go. All right. So All right. I got to tell you, I I finally got rid of Comcast, and I am the happiest man in the world. We, um, RCN, um, I used to have RCN uh, uh, when I lived up in Edgewater, 20 something years ago which is a neighborhood in chicago right well and rcn is a cable company it's actually a national cable company um and uh they didn't have it in my neck of the woods here when i moved to logan square we must we were in the poor part of town i always said we're in the poor part of town so you don't get the rcn service so we had to settle for comcast which they of course want you to call xfinity but it's really comcast and um um is that like um meta uh, yeah, it's like 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 Schmetterbook yeah. for for Facebook because yeah. that's what they are now, Schmetterbook, um, and um, and so uh, I had the opportunity. RCN came a calling last year and said, "Yeah, we're coming back. We're coming into your neighborhood. Are you interested in fiber optics?" I went, "Ho ho 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 they came by, set it up in about three hours, and I got to call. Uh, I didn't even, yeah, I called Comcast, said, I'm uh, discontinuing service. And, and kind of- yeah, exactly. Woo, wave the magic wand. 
And they actually had a representative call me to ask why I went away. Now, for all these, all these years, <laughs> I had been planning to get really snarky with them and say, yeah, because you're crooks and uh, your service is terrible and you don't have great you? upload speed. What? You snarky? Yeah, never. I would never do that. <laughs> but you know what? It was really satisfying not to be snarky. When they said, why are you leaving us? I said, because I can get fiber optics. And then there was this pause on the other end of the line. And the woman said, okay, thank you very much. And hung up. That was basically it. You know, is there yeah. anything else I can do for you? Nope, not really, because uh, I, they, they snipped your line. It's snip, snip, snip. It's gone. So that gets another ding. I'm sorry. Uh, oop, and then I knocked the bell on the floor. Okay, nice. All right. Wow, chimes. Hey, folks, have we got a great show f for you today, starting off with, uh, you know, the end of Comcast in my life for now. We'll see what happens. You it's know, the they, end of the Comcast as we all, know it. You know, it's uh, they're always like Glenn Close in Fatal Attraction with a rising up out of the bathtub <laughs> and somehow I'll have to oh, deal, deal with uh, Comcast again at some point. Um, but uh, boy, I am so excited about today's show because we're going to solve the plastics crisis in the world with puppets. Yep, that's what we're going to do. Well, maybe we won't s solve the uh, crisis, but we will. But we will have a an enjoyable and educational time doing it. Oh my goodness, yes, we will definitely uh, do that uh, because um, we have some folks on today uh, who are part of the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival, which is coming. To Chicago this week. It starts the 20th and it goes uh, to the uh, 30th. To the uh, to the 30th. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and At locations all over town, not just one place. Uh, right. Exactly. And I'm and I'm and I'm correcting something here in, in the box. So forgive me that that I, I realized that I had to I, I forgot to set up before we went live here, but uh, let me do that. But the idea is that uh, there's these wonderful shows that are going to be done all over the city of Chicago, but one of them in particular deals with our plastic crisis or plastics. I never know whether to call it singular or plural because there's all kinds of different plastics, but maybe you think of it in general as a plastic crisis. I don't know. Um, and we're going to discuss that. Uh, it's a, a um, an installation called the Plastic Bag Store. And uh, you're going to get to walk inside. And we'll explain how it works. And I actually have a, a short video that, that talks about it a little bit. We, we, do the, uh, we do that for the first hour. Peggy and I are going to do – I have some fun stuff at 10 o'clock that you don't even know about, Peggy. Okay. So, uh, but we're also going to get a preview of Natural Awakenings Chicago – a magazine, January, yes, product placement, hold that up, okay. Full disclosure, Peggy is the publisher, uh, as you probably know. Uh, I gave myself a ding. Uh, good, I'll give you one, there you go. And then, of course, uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio uh, at 10.30, we're gonna, I have video of that underwater volcano exploding, which is really terrifying and cool at the same time. Um, and we'll talk about that in the big snowstorm that is happening out east that is affecting one of our guests uh, as, as well, uh, which is uh, 
I'm sorry to hear that because she was doing damage control just before we went on air. So uh, without further ado, oh, and 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 we've lost her. Maybe she's doing more damage control because, oh, wait, while, there, here she while comes. While you're bringing people in, I was just going <laughs> to say good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we got everyone's checking in. So if you haven't checked in yet um, in the comments section, please let us know where you're watching from. And please be sure to like and share today's show on Facebook. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure you like us, leave us a comment, and subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the channel. Okay, there she is. She's uh, uh, back in range here, and that is in the lower left of your screen, Robin Frohart, who is the creator of the Plastic Bag Store. Uh, how's everything doing? Have you got any more texts uh, from out east, Robin? <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, everything's okay. I had a, a pipe freeze in my house uh, in upstate New York this morning, right as we were logging on. So, but I think everything is going to be okay or not, but I'm here and that's there. So. <laughs> yep, you never know, but you're here and I'm glad yeah. you are. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, she's the creator of the Plastic Bag Store, which is an installation. It's part of the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival. And the guy on your right at the bottom is uh, the creator of the festival his name is blair thomas blair good morning good morning mike good morning how are you uh i'm good um you're out in the farm what i found out about blair you're going to find this amazing peggy um <laughs> is uh that uh he he is married to somebody who has been on our show and uh, she and he did not even make the connection that that this was happening ah. until the other day uh, Sherry Doyle, who works at McHenry County College okay. uh, in the uh, Center for Agrarian Learning. Uh, we've had her on and talked uh, to her about that wonderful uh, program at McHenry. Um, and then we found out the other day, you know, uh, I'm talking to uh, Blair and Blair says, hey, Mike, uh, you know, my my wife uh, works in uh, in uh, agriculture, sustainable agriculture, uh, maybe you'd like to uh, meet her sometime. And I said, oh, what's her name? <laughs> and she said, Sherry Doyle. I said, oh, okay. Well, she's been on our show several times. But uh, other than that, you know, maybe I could uh, meet yeah. her up at the farm because you're in a farm, a small farm in southern Wisconsin, Blair. Yes, true. Yep. We have uh, five acres here. We want to uh, have a a small a vegetable seedling uh, business that we operate in uh, the uh, as a off farm uh, a kind of on farm plant sale in May and uh, along with that in our old dairy barn we have the cluck cluck cabaret which I'm the the curator of <laughs> that's my contribution <laughs> I, I was watching your video um, on your website showing showing your barn and the farm and it's uh, yeah, like yeah. A, a really beautiful place yeah it's it's really special. Well, one of the cool things about it is that you have this barn there where you get to, you're a puppeteer, um, and yes. uh, you get to construct and work with your puppets. The only th problem, as you said, it's a barn, and it gets a little windy in there sometimes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The te same temperature is outside as inside the barn. Oh, right. well, okay. Well, you're not wow. doing, some days you're not working out there, I guess. Um, yeah, and, and we need to mention that your puppets in the barn aren't, hand puppets well we'll, your... well we'll get into that that's the whole yes. the, the whole message here that's part of the whole message here today so uh blair i'm going to let you take it away and tell before we get back to robin here uh i want you to tell us about the chicago international puppet theater festival it is kind of an outgrowth of your own company isn't it 
Uh, it's true. Um, I was making and developing work as Blair Thomas and Company, uh, which was a, a, a small operation I, I developed after uh, leaving the Red Moon Theater, which is the, the previous company I started in Chicago. Um, some people may know that company um, and which I worked at for a, about a decade. And um, I was uh, I was amazed. There's this kind of uh, magic a puppeteer has where he, the studio in which a, a puppeteer works, there's many supplies and materials. And uh, I always kind of uh, uh, in kind of amazed that the, the creation of a puppet um, is uh, is only is is that is exist in the studio before it's actually made. So it's all just in different parts and it just requires the puppeteer to go in and with their imagination and their skill build out of the things that actually are already present. And um, this, uh, because of this, puppeteers have many different kinds of, of materials in their studios just to, to facilitate that kind of thing. But, you know, when I started the, the puppet festival about uh, seven years ago, um, we did our first one in 2015. Uh, it was really like I looked around the city of Chicago and we didn't have a puppet festival, but we had all the pieces of it. And uh, I just, uh, pulled them together. I found, I just called up various presenters in town and said, wouldn't it be great if we had a puppet festival? Would you participate? And they said, they all just said yes. And I was so encouraged by that. Right. And, uh, and we were collaborating with like the Museum of Contemporary Art and the Art Institute and the Field Museum and Navy Pier, but also Lynx Hall, Logan's uh, Center for the Arts at University of Chicago. And there was just a whole myriad of, of organizations that were willing to to participate. And um, from that was born the Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival. And uh, we continue in that collaborative spirit. Um, uh, obviously, uh, you know, that was the before times. And now we're in the transition times. We're in the liminal space where we're neither one thing or another. And uh, uh, we are mounting the fourth edition of our festival. And um, uh, one thing that was to me really exciting about it was that in our third festival we brought in robin to do uh, a piece that uh, that uh, that she had made and um it was a, a, a fantastic a fantastic work and um uh, I, I was always very inspired by, uh, by by robin's work and uh, and then there was and i knew that she had this other project that she was she was working on a variety of different ways and it was a not the usual show like it wasn't just like a show in a theater that you went to see and uh, robin is a visual artist who then came to puppetry uh later she can maybe tell her story of that but she has a very rich palette that she draws from um and in, in building as well as uh, con uh conception of work and um, and so I was super excited when when there was this fruition of bringing the plastic bag store um, to our festival, which is an, another story I could tell you about. But anyway, it also brings us back to the question that Peggy was raising just a few minutes ago. And as we talk about this, I may pop in a few photos of some of the puppets. And don't worry, Robin, we're getting to you here uh, in just a second. Okay. I, I want to I want to set the scene here. I'm setting the scene here until uh, and then we'll bring in Robin. Um, but puppets, uh, if you haven't been to, as you said to me, if you haven't, or no, you say it on your video on your website. Uh, if you haven't been to a puppet show since you were a kid, uh, this is not your mom and dad's puppet show. It's, uh, it's really. This is Pukla, Fran and Ollie. Yes. Right. Exactly. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that Blair? 
For sure, yeah. Uh, you know, puppetry that's as it's as it's as it's happening in so many uh, uh, areas and today is uh, really dynamic and and it really has. Uh, uh, expanded from the traditional idea of the puppet booth or the puppet stage where there's an illusion where you don't see the puppeteer and the, and the show plays out in front of you with little uh, miniature figures and uh, where the um, uh, uh, where where the puppet is one of the uh, key elements in making a very uh, dynamic theater that uses uh, uh, live music and 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 a variety of different performance uh, techniques and and the scale of puppets are is large and small and the human being is just is also a performer in the puppet theater's work and um, so that relationship between where you actually see the human in relationship to the puppet is 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 one of the key signatures of contemporary puppetry. And and, and we see um, and we see this with you. These the first two photos here were of you and right. uh, and I, I love this one. This is your your buddy, uh, whoever that is, right. uh, the octopus ten tentacle. <clears throat> right. This is a, a, a tentacle that that our studio built for Looking Glasses production of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Um, some people may have seen that. You can imagine the use of that that puppet there. Yeah. Um, uh, and the other one before it was Pinocchio from uh, the House Theater's production of Pinocchio a few years ago that we had also done. So you can see that's this is a doll puppet that we call a bunraku style puppet, which is a Japanese technique that uh, usually has three manipulators that hold the doll and operate all its limbs and and create this kind of semblance of of, of movement with it and uh it's a, it's it's the prevalent style today um and uh, robin has has done a lot of work with with that style of puppetry so let's go through a, a few of these uh because these are some of the shows and and I, we wanted to call attention to some of yeah, uh the... I, if, yes. if i could ask a general also stage setting question because you're going to see all different types of puppets here how would you define a puppet blair well, a, a puppet is of, often defined as a as a material object that represents a human or a spirit or a animal, and that it's it's brought to life in front of an audience uh, um, through a, a manipulation, uh, and it's it's got its very interesting roots either uh, in in kind of religious and ritual performance uh, mm -hmm. uh, in in culture, but also in a in a secular way, in a popular way. Um, the images that you're showing right now are a, are a very established company called Bread and Puppet Theater, and they operate off of, of a beautiful farm in the northern kingdom of Vermont, and they have been there for uh, for decades. Uh, they grew out of the protest movement of the 60s, and uh, they work with uh, a lot of recyclable materials. You can see the paintings that are up against the barn are, are painted on old bed sheets, and they do they built a lot of their puppets out of recycled cardboard. Uh, you can see those figures that they've made, um, and they they sculpt um, uh, like that large face in the very center. They dig the dirt out of and mud and clay from their farm, and they sculpt that uh, this the form in, in in clay, and then they paper mache it. Um, uh, it's a it's an astounding company that has led the way with spectacle theater uh, and for puppetry. We all walk in the shadow of this of this the, this this company's work. Uh, they're very politically engaged. Um, and then we get to another example here with the, the this is the bluest eye, and it's a production coming from California, um, a, a collaboration between Margaret Kemp and Yanni Young, uh, uh, two puppet directors. 
And uh, The Bluest Eye, people may know, is Toni Morrison's first novel. And we're doing this in association with the DuSable Museum, uh, and which we're really excited about. And uh, if you, uh, the book is an amazing book. A lot of us are rereading it. And it's just like Toni Morrison was just, it was as, uh, 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 as we all know, a really amazing uh, uh, writer with images and with story and really uh, caught some uh, some uh, seminal things that need to be said and this piece is you can see it's a it's a fairly large cast thing uh, these are Bunraku style puppets as I'm talking with dolls that are being manipulated you can see someone has their hands on the feet of the of the figure on the left and while other people are controlling uh, uh, the head through the uh, the back of the puppet um, so uh, uh, th this is this plays out the narrative of the bluest eye um, which is a which is a, a Anyway, and as and sort of a, a, that, that's okay. Uh, what you're pointing out is, you know, there's all kinds of puppets, and some are large, some are small, some are are, are manipulated uh, by human beings right there. Some are manipulated in here by strings. Uh, this is a, mm -hmm. an environmental piece uh, that uh, you mentioned mm -hmm. to me. Yeah, it's called timber with an exclamation point, and it's and it's looking at the uh, the issue of deforestation of of our uh, timber here in North America, uh, taking the myth of Paul Bunyan and, and kind of turning it on its head. And um, the, the puppeteer, Mark Blashford with the uh, Rootstock Puppet Theater, uh, he's a local artist, um, and makes, is, has made his, this work, it's a premiere, and uh, he makes his marionettes out of wood, he carves them out of wood, and, uh, and he has, he's a, an incredible craftsman. Um, and uh, and a great storyteller and banjo player <laughs> as well. And uh, anyway, um, so it's, this gives you a sense of that. And well, that piece, for example, Mark's piece is for young audiences. So some of our work for the festivals for young audiences, but the majority of it is not for young audiences. And that doesn't mean it's it's inappropriate for young audiences. It's just the content is is focused for adults. Like uh, the Bread and Puppet Theater's production is called is a, a, a staging of Aeschylus's The Persians, and uh, that's uh, one of the first Greek dramas. Aeschylus was commissioned by the authorities after the victory of the Greek army over the Persian, the giant Persian army, to write a play celebrating this victory. And so Aeschylus wrote a play from the perspective of the vanquished. And and he and how they lost and what it was for them to lose against a smaller nation and the and the shock and surprise of that and the lament and so it's it's a, one of the most beautiful anti-war pieces uh, written, and uh, and the bread and puppet does a, a a beautiful telling of it. All right, which takes us to uh, our guest artist here this morning, uh, Robin Frohart uh, from New York, um, and. You put together something called the plastic bag store, um, and uh, I'm going to show some photos while uh, while you're talking about it. But um, first of all, tell us uh, the genesis of this. What made you decide to want to wander the streets of New York City picking up plastic? <clears throat> well, um, I you know got the idea for the show just in a grocery store watching someone bag and double bag all my groceries that were already bags inside of boxes and bags and. Uh, it mm -hmm. just seemed so ridiculous how much packaging was involved in just my one little grocery run. Um, <clears throat> I thought it would be funny to make a grocery store that only sold packaging. Uh, and so I started designing products and 
collecting bags and sculpting them into fruits and vegetables and um, I collected bottles and cans and other single-use materials and stuffed them full of plastic. Um, this is some of the sculpted produce uh, section. <clears throat> and uh, we also sort of designed our own labels for boxes and bottles and filled every single thing um, with plastic trash. So a lot of these products are are play, plays and, and puns on, on commonly known objects that are familiar to you in your grocery store, but everything is made out of plastic mm -hmm. and made out of uh, single-use plastic or plastic bags. Uh, yeah, and you... Um, and then... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, well, there's a, a performance um, that is involved with the show. The, the grocery store is in the Wrigley building, uh, right mm -hmm. now, it opens on the 20th, um, and it looks like a regular grocery store or convenience store. It's right next to Walgreens, so it really blends in. Um, <laughs> and people can come and, and, and explore the grocery store, but there is a puppetry performance uh, that happens several times a day. Uh, and everything inside the store changes. All of the sets and shelves transform into sets and there are some hidden rooms and a lot of surprises. And the story is about um, the, the journey of a, a bag of plastic trash from the present day to the far off future uh, in which it's sort of misinterpreted uh, when it's found in the future. Um, uh, someone doesn't recognize the, the items and, and gives them much more significance than they actually have. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> is, that, is, is that a toothbrush or is uh, that the, he's the It box? is, but he, he thinks it's like a, a children's doll or a character because it has like whiskers just like he does, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love he the sees, idea. He sees himself. Yeah. <laughs> so did you... Uh, Robin, did you write the story for this? Is it? Um... Did yeah, I wrote? I wrote the story and made all of the puppets. Uh, and and, and it collected performed the... by a team of. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and collected you know all the plastic. Me and my team. I have a, a a a couple people who have been with me since the beginning of the project. Um, Admiral Gray and Tyler Gunther, other artists who are here with me, and they've helped me create a lot of this material. Yeah. There's it's so and many it's, interesting questions about collecting all of the plastic. Uh, one of the every ones color imaginable. Right, although some colors are harder to find than others. Definitely, definitely. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I'm always on the hunt for red and yellow and orange and pink and anything very colorful. You know, those are harder to find than the than the millions of white ones that we have. <laughs> and, and blues. There's some blues and some blacks as well, but I imagine the, the colorful ones. Yeah. The question I want to ask about this is, you know, spending, I guess it took you about a year to collect all uh, of the, the plastic to put into the show and then, and then craft everything. Um, and what I want to ask is what sort of visceral response did you have? I mean, when you started this, did you were you aware of the ubiquitous quality of plastics in our environment and did that change i mean i definitely was aware of it but definitely became more aware of it as i was constantly conscious of it and hunting you know i had a different relationship to it than other people because i despised it but i also like coveted certain <laughs> materials you know i was always on the hunt for certain things so 
um, you know, a, a special color of bag crosses your path. It's, you know, you're like, oh, this is this is gorgeous, actually. You know, this yeah. is very special and unique color, you know. Um, so I'm always aware of it. You know, I definitely it, it be was kind of stressful in that, like, I started to feel like personally responsible for all of the plastic that um, crossed my path and that if I didn't like find a use for it in my project that, you know, I felt guilty. So I felt, you know, yeah, I just felt like responsible for all of the all of the plastic I was passing up on the street or all the, all the plastic I couldn't find jobs for, you know, in the store. I felt <laughs> guilty about. Um, now that the store is kind of complete, I feel a little bit less like that. Um, but I am always on the hunt for for certain materials for sure. Uh, for future iterations of the uh, of of the project. Yeah, for restocking, we're always we're always like developing. We're always adding new products wherever we go. So okay. we have some, we made some kielbasa, kielbagsa sausages <laughs> from Chicago. And, um, some you get a ding for that. Taffy apple. Oh, nice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, some pierogi. Uh, yeah. And some, um, uh, you know, making new cakes and flowers and yeah. adding new things to the store all the time. So always on the hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever have people wanting to purchase the products? Um, definitely. And I, you know, I, people really do want to, but I, it took so much effort to stock the shelves. Right. That it's hard I mean, for me to let them yeah, go. Yeah. I'm just curious yeah. on their reaction. Yeah. If they, you know, they come in and they're like, wow, I want to purchase the kale with the LL bean bags, for example. Yeah. I think they do. I mean, people, you know they're very colorful objects so i think people yeah. are pretty attracted to it, it is well, if it i can is. figure out a way to like keep producing them and keep selling them i mean i would love to get rich selling people garbage that sounds awesome i just haven't <laughs> figured quite that part out yet. well but what what it does call attention to is the uh overwhelming nature of plastics in our lives uh, not just in America, obviously, but in the entire world, uh, in our oceans, in our in our ground. Uh, I and it, when I was putting together my blog, and folks, you can read. I would I would advise you to go to MikeNovak.net. And in the first paragraph, the very first paragraph, I have I don't know, uh, ten links maybe um, from stories that I found, many of which were written in the last week about plastics. I mean that's how big the issue is that people continue to try. I didn't have to go searching for an article written in, you know, 2014 or 2018. It's like they're doing it now. And they're really good articles that have a lot of insight into why, how we got stuck here. And we are stuck. Um, and that's one of the things, you know, I'm not going to ask you, Robin, to explain your art. I think people can figure it out for themselves when they go to the plastic bag store. Um, but I, I imagine while they're smiling there's got to be a little bit of a gut punch as well which is to say wow look at all the plastic everything in here is is plastic and um if if robin hadn't used it it would have been floating around the streets of new york city or chicago or la or yeah. wherever this wasn't new plastic you purchased this was what you've recovered. Right. So we need to address yeah. that, that issue, and we're going to do it. But but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the plastic bag store. But, and then we're going to bring in um, our uh, our friend Marta Keene from the Illinois Recycling Foundation. 
Uh, full disclosure, I am a board member, just so everybody knows. And we're going to have a little, we're going to delve into this. I mean, what is it that we can do? Why, how did we get here? And, and why does this resonate, uh, your store resonate so much with people? Uh, Robin Frohart, Blair Thomas, as I said, Marta Keen joining us soon. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Please stick around. From spring seed and soil treatments to summer foliar feeding to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from Tinyo Biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners too. And Blazing Star also offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones four and five. Learn more about these great folks and great techniques at blazing-star.com. Fozzie, what is this? Oh, Kermit, it's my new ball. I'm talking about this mess. Oh, that was the packaging. You know, Fozzie, when you buy things that are overpackaged, you create more garbage and hurt the environment. I do? Try to choose products that aren't overpackaged and recycle whenever you can. You mean like this banana peel? You can recycle a banana peel? Sure. Yeah! To find out how you can help, write to Make a Difference, National Wildlife Federation, Washington, D.C., 20036. Isn't comedy wonderful? And I just had to play that. Welcome back, folks, to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And as you can see, we've been joined by Marta Keene up in the upper right-hand corner there. We're going to get to you in just a bit, Marta. Uh, but just a little more chat with Robin and Blair um, about puppets. As I just played some puppets. I'm some, among the most famous puppets of all time, the Muppets. Um, and um, I adore the Muppets. Um, they did a lot of for puppetry, didn't they? Didn't they, Blair? Oh my goodness! <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Jim Henson uh, is a is a, is is a genius on the popular culture front for sure. But in, in the in the puppetry community, he and his family have been uh, uh, some of the most generous uh, supporters in the development of work. Um, both Robin and I have both received. Uh, financial support from the Jim Henson Foundation, which has got established in his name after his death in 92. And uh, and his uh, uh, widow, uh, um, uh, Jane Henson, as well as the children, uh, have been doing so much for puppetry and continue to do so much um, and uh, really provide vision and leadership in so many ways. And, and, and as you can see, that, that piece is, I, I have this habit of dragging up old public service announcements and playing them on the show because sometimes they're fascinating. Uh, I, I, I yeah. especially like the Muppets. Now, that's probably from the 80s. Um, and look yeah. at that. At that time, we were telling people, you can do something about plastics. You can do something about packaging. All you have to do is pay attention and, and chip in. Everybody just kind of chip in. And here we are 30 years later, and what has happened? It's worse. It's worse than ever. Um, so yeah. And so we have Robin coming up uh, with the plastic bag store to, to bring that to, to everyone's attention. Um, that, that to me is frustrating. Uh, there are, again, those, some of those articles uh, talk about that in, in the blog post that I did. Among them, they talk about how the government has been telling us for decades that we can solve the problem. And, and then uh, the manufacturers just make more and more and more and more plastic as that happens. And so the problem is, is not going away. And obviously, Robin, that's something you highlight in your installation. Recycling 
like in that commercial, there is a lot of propaganda that tells people that recycling is the answer and that it's our responsibility to recycle our way out of that. But uh, I personally don't believe that. Um, I, I, you know, I think a lot of re recycling, uh, like PR campaigns, were were thought up by the plastics industry as a mm -hmm. way to make people think that they could recycle their way out of it or that it was their responsibility, when it's really the manufacturer's responsibility. Um, and recycling, I mean, I'm sure Marta can t speak to this more, but like it's really in peril right now. There's a lot. Uh, China used to buy up all of our plastic and recycle it, and they don't do that anymore. And other countries are, are also stopping to uh, buy and receive our plastic waste. And so a lot of it is just getting thrown away and incinerated. So recycling is a little bit of a, um, a myth right now as, as an answer to this problem. And, and we will get to that in a, in a second, but I want to mention before I forget, though, that you're um, heading a discussion as part of uh, the, uh, the festival, the Puppet Festival, um, uh, an online conversation called What We Leave Behind, the Plastic Object Geological Layer, um, and that's going to be on Saturday, January 22nd from 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, it was originally scheduled to be uh, live, but uh, um, uh, COVID protocol has changed that, and now it'll be online. And I've got a link um, that uh, uh, Blair graciously gave me last night, and um, it, I'm hoping it gets updated real soon and folks can take advantage of that, and we'll, we'll make sure they have that information. Um, are you talking... Uh, what is it that you want to discuss when you when you say the plastic object geological layer? What are you referring to? Well, you know, if you think about um, what a lot of the the show and the narrative of my play is about, someone discovering all this uh, a bag of plastic trash that's been left behind. So plastic doesn't decompose, you know. It um, it breaks down into smaller pieces, and there's a microplastics issue because of that. Um, but it doesn't go away. Um, and if you think about how long a clay pot that is made of dirt and water, how long something like that lasts, thousands of years, we're digging up clay pots and they're just made of sand. Um, <clears throat> in the future, um, you know, we're creating billions and billions of bottles every year and, and, and um, you know, all kinds of other bags and caps and lids. And, um, and you know, I, I can't imagine that as a, you know, we've only been doing it for about 40 years. We're, we won't be able to do it for much longer, hopefully. Um, but there is going to be a layer, mm -hmm. um, on, you know, metaphorically and kind of literally, um, as future archaeologists dig down, there's going to be this layer of plastic that people are wow. going to encounter. The Anthropocene layer. Yeah, when we were creating all this stuff. Right. Um, and it is sort of our legacy of what we're leaving behind. Uh, well, uh, and it's interesting. One of the articles that I was referring to was a, a new uh, Washington Post article called Five Myths About Plastics. You just mentioned about how long we've been doing it. The truth is we've been manufacturing plastics on a grand scale for 100 years. Basically, in the 20s, right. 20s we were already doing this in the 1920s. Um, and the other thing that uh, the, the author here writes is about, uh, the, about how ubiquitous uh, plastics are. Um, she writes, most plastics are minuscule fragments. I mean, the, we think of plastics as a plastic bag or a cap or a bottle. 
Um, but most plastics are minuscule fragments distributed below the sea surface in the atmosphere or are buried in sediments or shoreline sands. Other plastics have spread through freshwater systems or land. In fact, a recent United Nations report suggests that soils could contain even larger quantities of microplastics than oceans do. In addition to the plastics themselves, there are associated pollutants such as phthalates, bromide, uh, brominated flame retardants, and stabilizers like UV-328 are also ubiquitous. Together, they could interfere with Earth's capacity to support life, conclude environmental chemist Hans-Peter Arp and colleagues in the journal Environmental Science and Technology. So they're they're not large they're not just gross in nature they're fine in nature so i guess that takes us to everywhere yes and well, at and I, everywhere yes peggy i just want to ask a quick question and i'm also looking at the time here debating to ask the question are we going to see robin's video uh probably not at this point is okay. what i'm because uh it's my feel just an on-air reminder of are uh, we look, looking at the video so uh, oh no no no! Don't worry about that. I I was I had a three minute video, but you know this. There's so much we're trying to get in here that uh, that's not going to be possible. And besides, if you want to see that video, go to our YouTube page. I played part of it uh, in the preview we did for the show this week, and you can see it. Then that preview is only five minutes long. So go and take a look at that. Uh, so because I want to get to Marta Keen. Um, and you've heard a lot here about our ability to recycle plastics. A couple of questions: Can we recycle plastics? And why aren't we more efficient? Our recycling rate as of uh, 2018, according to the EPA, was 8.7%, which stinks, basically. Okay. Um, what's the problem, Marta? Well, just to put it in context, so that is all the plastic, uh, the 8.7. And there's a lot of plastic, not just the bottles and the caps that we were thinking about here or talking about, I guess but also even like my glasses are made out of plastic. Uh, when we go to the hospital, everything there is in plastic, the medical profession. So Plastics there's a lot, a lot of, of our clothing and we don't even know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ubiquitous is the key word today. Uh, but um, it, it is stuff, it is primarily things that we cannot recycle. Now, now that said, we know we can recycle the plastic bottles. The number one bottle is the soda pop bottle and the number uh, two bottles are your milk jugs and your laundry detergent bottles. And even though on a national basis, we're only recovering 29% of those. So wow. there's something absolutely easy to recycle. There are markets for those materials. They don't even have to go to China. They can be recycled in North America. And yet we're still not recovering 70% of them. So um, we recover more in bottle bill states. So I can't even say we're recovering that kind of a rate here uh, you know, in Illinois because it just we, we're not a bottle bill state. And I'm not here to tell you we should become a bottle bill state, but if we're really intent on trying to capture some of the plastics that actually have markets, that is a way to do it. Marta, uh, number for, excuse me a second, Marta, for some, of our, for some of our listeners who might not know, what is a bottle bill state? Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, so Michigan, right next door to us, there's a fee, and you'll see it on your cans and your bottles, and it'll say five cents or ten cents in different states. It'll have their little abbreviations, and and so when you see that, that means that if you have that bottle or can in those states, you could take it back to a redemption center or a grocery store 
and they would give you that money back. But when you buy that product in those states, you're actually paying them that money. You're making a deposit for it. So um, we, we don't do that here. Well, and, 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 and we know it works. We know it works, right, Marta? We do. We do know that it, it does. It, in, it reduces litter uh, and it also um, in, increases. But it is, it's, um, it's something that the stores have to have room for. Uh, it takes up space. It's uh, transportation. You have to return it. But Staff. we put the transportation in when we recycle it. So, you know, it's, it's really a good program. Uh, and there is a push to have that. There was national legislation last year being pushed, and uh, it, it could still come back up this year. Uh, to do something like that on a national scale. Well, and 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 we know that uh, it has been fought tooth and nail by the uh, the beverage companies, um, um, and uh, this has been part of the issue in Illinois for many of these years. And they've won here for the longest time. I mean, they're. What, do you even know the last state to institute a bottle bill? I don't think it's. Oh. There's only been updates. There has not been a new bottle bill passed, I believe, in more than a decade. That's what I think, too. Wow. At any rate, okay, and now part of the other problem, um, and this is what Robin uh, works on and, and, and has discovered in her work, is that 40% of the plastic we make is single for single use. That And, and we include bottles as single use, right, Marta? Even though I... I reuse bottles, and people tell me all the well, you're you know you're poisoning yourself, and the, the plastic's leaching, and you're going to die. Well, I'm going to die anyway, probably from the lead in the pipes in my house. So, um, one way or the other. Uh, but it seems to me that we have to point at the manufacturers and say, "You're making too much of this stuff," and we've been brainwashed into thinking that's all we you know that we need all of it, and we don't. We really don't need all of it. It's, that's my opinion. Illinois Perg came out with a great report. Uh, I don't know if you have this in your blog, but it's it's the state of recycling in Illinois. Uh, and it's, I believe, 2019 that that came out. And they have some suggestions that are um, just what we're talking about here. Uh, you know, refusing to have a plastic straw, uh, not having utensils. The city of Chicago, for all their recycling woes, uh, has at least adopted an ordinance instructing all the restaurants, and this just happened, all the restaurants to not give automatically plastic utensils. People have to ask for them uh, in order to be given them. Uh, there were people who wanted them to actually do away with it altogether. They couldn't get that passed. Um, but you know, it's-, it's Yeah, yeah, and that's, and and that's then, a point I was gonna make is that a lot of the people think it was weak tea that this they passed this uh, as a way to say, hey, look, we're doing something, but to see, that's what I would say about all of our plastic issues is that most of what we do is, is kabuki theater, to, to use a theater metaphor, um, that we claim we're, 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 we're making a difference and we're really not. And Robin, I imagine that you have people talk to you about these issues when you're at your installation. I know you're not there all the time. Uh, do they bring this up and do they, do they say, wow, thank you for bringing this to our attention? Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, there's all kinds of varying levels of awareness. Um, but I think that something about the plastic bag store is that it's like it brings a, a kind of visceral awareness in this environment where it, that you're very familiar with in the context in which you see a lot of these things. So instead of just giving you 
numbers and facts or showing you tragic images of sea life, um, you know, caught in plastic, uh, it, it sort of puts it in this bright, colorful, familiar environment with lots of jokes and puns. And it's kind of like a different way of thinking about this stuff and a different way of um, having it reach people and touch people in more of a, a, a humorous way instead of terrifying them and overwhelming them so that they just don't want to think about it. Well, we've always said that uh, you can change more people when they're laughing than when they're crying, yeah. uh, change more it's minds. The storytelling aspect. But do you yeah. But do you fear, Robin, ever that it's too colorful and too much fun and it really doesn't call attention to the problem? No. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> That's, I mean, that... it, it, it is what it is. It, this is what I made. Yeah, this I is know. my choice. How I tell it. There are a million other ways to tell it. I am not a scientist. I am not a, a you know, a, a, I don't write serious plays. I make puppet shows. So this is like, this is how I'm telling it. Yeah. Know? No. It's, it, it is incredibly creative, it's Robin. It is not, it is not like, it is not, <laughs> it does not gloss over or, or make you feel light on any of these subjects. It is probably yeah. darker than most pieces about it but it's well that's true because we're we're, yeah. we're only showing here the uh the colorful part where you know photographs sure. of yeah. that we're not showing the puppet show where you look into the future a dystopian future and look back at what we did here in the 21st century and i think the 20th and the 21st century if we survive uh, will be looked at as the dark ages in some respects. And, and what we did during the pandemic to explode the plastic and what's happening with fracking to explode the plastic. Um, yeah. So uh, where do we go from here? I mean, how, how do we fix this problem? And I know that's not your job, Robin. Your job is to call attention to it. I get that. So I have to ask, uh, and I'm not going to ask you, Blair, because uh, you're, <laughs> I'm not going to put you on the spot. Marta, I might put you on the spot because not, not only is she the president of the uh, Illinois Recycling Foundation, but she is the uh, Will County, uh, uh, um, man, oh, what's, I, I had it in my head. Recycling specialist. <laughs> I, the what? Recycling specialist. Recycling specialist. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, um, can we legislate ourselves out of this? Well, I, I would say that EPR, which you mentioned, Extended Producer Responsibility, is is a light at the end of this crazy tunnel that we're in uh, and making the manufacturers more responsible. We've listened to many of them promise us for my entire career, which stretches over 30 years, how they're going to add recycled content to items and what they're going to do. And unfortunately, uh, we're still uh, not there. Uh, many of the items we've purchased do not have recycled content. They're not easily recyclable, and even worse, some are greenwashed. They show us recycling in a lab. Uh, I like to throw K-Cup under the, under the bus on this one, and then they tell us we can recycle it. And there is not a, a material recovery facility where they sort this material that can sort little tiny K-Cups out and just have a K-Cup truck go out and get recycled. Just not going to happen. So... <laughs> Uh, it's it's great to say this, uh, but it, it, we have to get them involved in actually spending money. Uh -huh. And then down the line, there are plant-based uh, materials that they are making what we would call plastic, 
out of. And um, I, I try to resist calling a plant-based material a plastic because in my mind, plastic is always from oil and natural gas. But uh, this plant-based materials, which will function just like a number two uh, or a number one bottle, can't currently be recycled because it's going to require different uh, ways to deal with sorting them at these material recovery facilities, and it's going to require a different way of processing them. They can be technically in the lab recycled, and, and we need the manufacturers to get on board with switching over to those kinds of materials and then making the investments with our material recovery facilities to actually be able to handle them and sort them and get them to some place where they they can be made into new materials. Yeah, um, you bring up a really good point about uh, this. There's, there's a difference between bioplastics, what we call bioplastics, which are supposed to be made from plant material, and biodegradable plastics, which are often made from petroleum. Um, yes. And people conflate the two of them, and they don't, sometimes the, the bioplastics don't biodegrade. And the biodegradable plastics, as we said, are still made of petroleum. And ultimately, um, one of the solutions is when they, when when uh, these uh, uh, entities collect plastics, is they melt them down back into petroleum. So it's it's a um, it's a cycle that has to be broken somehow. And as you said, extended producer responsibility is part of that. Um, Robin, I wanted to ask you one quick question before we wrap up here. And, and Blair, I'm gonna have you uh, in a second, give us a little more information about the festival. Um, are you able to distinguish in your installation, Robin, between the plastics that are you're not able to recycle and that those that you could recycle? And have, uh, do you have any interest in that? No, and it's the project isn't really about that, and it's definitely not about recycling. It's more just about um, um, it's it's just about you know it's it's a lot about who we are and why we've created these things and how we will be in the future and how we might look back at this and how we might put significance into items that we you know feel that aren't significant now. I guess a better way to say that would be you know all this waste is designed to be invisible to us and this project is just to make it visible. Um, but it's not about, it's not about recycling. Okay. No. And, and, and I know it's not, and I know that's, that's the road I've gone down here uh, because that's my interest, but I'm also interested in what you're doing is just calling attention to this crisis we're in because we are in a crisis and uh, getting us to understand that if you have a, a choice in the world, you know, and, and here's a choice. This is a simple choice. Don't go to Costco and buy 60 bottles of plastic water. You don't have to do that. There, there are different things to do. You could put a filter and on I your... And I think that some... Right, and, and some people don't know that. And that's not available to everybody either. I mean, it, I definitely am not interested in shaming people for their choices because I feel like uh, a lot of those things are cultural and there are like barriers to price barriers to entry to live like a green plastic free life is like an incredibly time consuming and expensive endeavor and there are certain neighborhoods where you cannot possibly even try to buy things that are not in disposable plastic and that's yeah. why i kind of don't put the onus on individuals i i think it's more about it, it's more the responsibility of the of the 
create of the people who are generating this. The waste. manufacturers. And I, and I hope yeah. that my project doesn't make people feel um, incredibly guilty. I, I think I just want people to have a deeper understanding. You know, it's also just an entertaining story regardless of the context. But, we, um, but I do hope that you come and see it. I, I actually have to go right at 10 um, because I have to go finish setting up the show. Um, okay. But it's been, yeah, it's been really uh, lovely to, to be here and share this project with you. And Blair can tell you the website where to go and part of it's free and part of it are ticketed performances. And yeah, I really hope that you yeah. all can make it, especially, you know, and, Marta and, and, and yeah, you guys all have a personal connection to the material. You'd really enjoy it. And if you do come, please say hi. Okay. So Robin, a lot of our viewers are saying thank you so much. They can't wait to see it. They love the new perspective, yeah. et cetera. You can't see the comments, so I'm letting you know what they're saying. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'll have to go back and look. All right. Thanks, Robin. Okay. I'll, I'll, we'll let you Robin, we'll let you duck so out. And before uh, uh, okay. we leave, uh uh Blair, give us a, a sense of uh I know oops, brought up the wrong photo again. Sorry about that. Let's pop this up. Here we go. Let's bring you up. And um, uh, as Robin mentioned, there's a lot going on in the festival in a minute or so. Can you tell us uh, what people can look forward to? Well, sure. Uh, our, all our information is at chicagopuppetfest.org. And uh, we have uh, 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 almost 100 events happening between the 20th and the 30th of this month. And uh, we've taken uh, uh, some COVID precautions, obviously, to have people convene. Um, people are required to present their vaccination status for admittance into the into all the events. Um, and so that's that's checked at the door. And obviously, masks are being worn by everyone involved. And um, uh, but. The, uh, there are performances at, at mo uh, ticketed events at many different places. As, as Robin said, the plastic bag store is uh, daily having uh, is daily open for just an installation visit. Just stop by and see it. There's certain hours for that. And the other times are these uh, uh, pu this puppet film uh, presentation that is is uh, a ticketed event that's happening several times a day. So uh, you can check that out at ChicagoPuppetFest.org. All right. Fantastic. And uh, Diana just said uh, it's a great website. So uh, you get a ding for your website there, Blair. Uh, uh, and uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Robin has ducked out, but uh, her image is still there. You know, this is the first time I've had somebody duck out before I finish the conversation. I've been doing this a long time. Marta Keene uh, from the Illinois Recycling Foundation and Will County, uh, thank you so much for, for uh, giving us a little more of the uh, technical uh, side uh, and policy side of this. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, hey, uh, tell your legislator, tell your state representatives, that you would like to see more EPR legislation in Illinois. You know, and that's and that was something I was going to say when Robin finished and she said she doesn't want to put the onus on people, but I will put the onus on people to contact their state legislator and say, you know what, there's too much plastics. You have to put some more responsibility onto the manufacturers. And that's one way you can have a positive effect on this. And and read up on it, folks. Um, if, if you did. You won't sleep for a while, but uh, uh, but but read up on it. Thank you yeah. all for, for for being on the show. Really appreciate it. All right, uh, when we come back, let's uh, let's talk about Natural Awakening Chicago Magazine, and we're going to have some fun. Stick around.
morning, Dr. Lloyd. How are you? Hey, Victor. Doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. Hey, I was noticing this, and I assume it's a mushroom, but can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yeah, it would be commonly referred to as a mushroom or a fungus. This is Ganoderma sessile, which is a type of primary decay fungus that we find in our landscape trees that have some level of decay present in them. Uh, and if you look closely at the top of the fungus there, it's got a shiny red, almost lacquered cap. And the genus Ganoderma, uh, the word comes from the Greek, meaning shiny skin, literally. And this genus of fungus, in particular, the shiny capped varieties are considered sacred in many parts of the world where they've been used medicinally for thousands of years and commonly referred to as reishi or lingji. And this is obviously the part of the call where I tell you, don't consume any fungus or mushroom without being 110% sure of the identity. A lot of mushrooms grow out of the ground. This one is growing out of the side of this chestnut oak. Can you tell me why? Yeah, there's a whole suite of fungi out there with a diverse array of functions. And you're right, some do grow out of the ground. But this one, Ganoderma sessel, is a decay fungus. And like other decay fungi, it possesses enzymes that'll break down cellulose and lignin. And wood gets its strength and rigidity from these structural sugars. So in the landscape, when we find decay fungi on trees, it indicates that there's some level of decay present so this tree has decay in it. Does it does it need to be removed? That's a great question, and it's really going to be a case-by-case -case basis, and we really need your Bartlett arborist to come out and inspect the tree because it's possible that this fungus is associated with an extensive amount of decay, but it's also possible that this tree has negligible amounts of decay associated with this fungus, and it's only in a small pocket. So now I know the next step. Dr. Lloyd, I want to thank you for your time and also thank you for always being a resource for our arbors here at Bartlett Tree Yeah, my pleasure, Victor. Glad I could help. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serrate. Give me all that I can take. And welcome back to the show. Uh, and just back. An, and we're back. Um, we're back. Uh, just a, a comment I was going to make. I don't know if Marta's still watching us, but uh, Catherine commented right towards the end of the first hour. Um, she says, not to take away from the topic, but the radio in the background caught my eye <laughs> and brought back memories of my grandma's house. I have a photo of my mother standing by it in the 1930s. You know what? And I've got one of those old radios right here that needs refurbishing. As I told um, uh, Marta, it still works. The tubes are in it. You, I, I plugged it in once and and got it to work. It needs to be, it needs to be fixed up. It's been beat up a little bit, but um, it it's gorgeous, um, and it's huge, and it's freaking huge. That's the problem. They're all 
so huge. And I want your dad to fix it, but then he would want to give it back to me. Mm-hmm. So that's not going to happen, is mm-hmm. it? Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, by the way, uh, the comment I like, I, uh, this is really funny. Uh, Snappy J Dog, you're the best. Uh, she writes, I generally, I generally run away from anything involving puppets, but Robin and Blair have shown me a new perspective, such wonderful art. So, see? Mission accomplished. There we go. There we go. I still have the marionette that I made in high school. Really? In, wow. In art club, we, um, we did clown, mime, puppetry, and dance, and we combined them for storytelling. Oh, never I mind. I was a mime. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Were you, you were a mime? Ow, I, you just lost some points. Oh, I'm sorry. And a clown, but, and yeah. a juggler, and a puppeteer. I, I can juggle a little bit. And I, a dancer. Uh, yeah, and an ice skater. Mm-hmm. So all that stuff. All right. And I, now I play a keyboard for a living, so there you go. Yeah. G-t-t-t-t. All right. This is something. Um, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to sucker punch you here with something. Uh-oh. Um, and uh, I was downstairs looking through some of my papers um my my boxes and boxes of uh income tax receipts that you know stretch back 15 years and should be shredded and uh uh have never gotten around to it and uh came across something uh in one of the boxes it was which a, the shredding by the way can't be recycled and has to be thrown in the trash right isn't that just Ah, don't get me started uh and i came across something it's a cd that somebody had obviously given me at some point and i don't remember how i got it and it had never been opened and it looked interesting so i thought you know what i'm going to put this on and 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 see what it is and the songs on there were uh, of of uh, a kind that you will understand when i play this in fact let me I was toting my pack across the fields and countryside When along came a crop duster spraying some damn pesticide It burned my eyes and throat, I couldn't find no place to hide So I flagged down a funky pickup and I settled down inside And he asked me if I'd seen so much poison sprayed by just one man And I said, listen they're spraying everything in this here land. They're spraying everywhere, man, they're spraying everywhere. Across America's farmland, polluting the soil and water, man. They're spraying all over this world. They're spraying everywhere. And here they are. Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa. Soil and water, man. They're spraying all over this world. They're spraying everywhere. Aprons, stiletto, warden, trilex, thyrum, maxim, latitude, vitamix, bean guard, green guard, kernel guard, soy guard, dividend, on yield, yield, prevail, dynasty, durs, bank, kickstart, rival, enhance, allegiance, captain, Viagra. <laughs> They're spraying everywhere, man. They're spraying. Get the idea 
that they go through all of the chemicals and the song goes on for a while and they're just listing chemical after and chemical. And they're just getting started. And they're just <laughs> getting started. And, and so I went and, it, and it's, this is the, uh, the CD here. Uh, and of course they're called Sinister Dane, which is a takeoff of an, another group that spelled it with S I N, I guess. Mm. I don't know. Didn't know who that was either. Um, but I don't know that they're around anymore. Um, I, that photo as I, I popped up was take, old, so. right. This was taken at the Moses conference. And by the way, the, we got a Moses conference coming up, coming up. in Wisconsin yeah. on the, from February 24th to 26th, you can go to, it's the uh, Mo, Moses organic farming conference. Um, and I, one of these days I, I want to get to one of those conferences. I haven't been there. Uh, I wonder if they're going to do it in person. Um, uh, you know, I'm not still, sure. I've, I've gotten emails from them, and I've got organic broadcaster, but I haven't. I'm yeah. not sure. But uh, uh, so I went and I looked up Sinister Dane, and and uh, you know I got the CD, but I don't think they're around anymore. So I don't think that uh, I'm going to get a warning from YouTube that I'm violating copyright. Yeah, never know. I might get it from from the video I played uh, of the uh, Puppet Festival. Who knows? But that was great music, by the way, from the guy who did the music for the Puppet Festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I thought I would play that because, um, and they have a bunch of the, uh, the songs on here, um, the old John Deere, Mad Cow, they have one on Mad Cow. That's when Mad Cow was uh, in the news. Everybody must get cloned. So they've got that, uh, GMO Acres, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so, uh, how's that? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> the, they've got the Monsanto rag. Um, oh dear. <laughs> so, uh, and I like beer, which is in honor of our Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh. So, um, so I thought I, I, I just had to play that. So, yeah. um, and, and uh, Mar- Marta commented, by the way. Yes, I saw that. About shredding. She says yeah. if a shredding company takes it, like you take it to a shredding event, I would presume, um, they take the shreds directly to a paper processor. But when taken curbside, shredded paper can't make it through the sorting facility. Yep. So why why is that? Um, is that equipment limitations. Well, yeah, but okay, it's like small plastics in um, your recycling bin. It's, it's a matter of sorting. They, they drop through the screens and, you know, they can clog things and um, you can't capture all of that and, and shredding uh, paper. You know, people might just, if they throw a bag in there and it opens up, now you've got shredded paper all over your recycling bin and it, it, it can't work. Uh, they, they can't do it. If, if you, there were some way to, to make sure, I guess, that it has stayed in one area, but I don't know. But I guess you have to have a special shredding company. Um, you know, and, and that seems a shame too, because we're in a world that insists we shred everything when we're done with it, yeah. which is why I have, you know, 29 boxes of, uh, of yeah, papers <laughs> in the, in, in the basement that need to go somewhere. Um, and they will when we start cleaning that out. Any, as well any, as the Christmas lights and the, uh... any, any year now that's going to happen. Okay. I'm telling you. And the books that, uh. I've gotten mildewy in the basement. Um, so, uh, all right, you, it's your turn because the uh, the January issue. Of product placement time? Product placement. 
All right. So tell us what's going in there. What do people want to see? Because we're halfway through the month. You we're wanted... halfway through the month, and I head into production tomorrow with the February issue. Oh so. boy, I bet that's fun. <laughs> um, well, actually, it's it's kind of an interesting because we, through Natural Awakenings throughout the year, we're going to be taking a look at trends um, because a lot of things have changed, and a lot of you hear so much especially if you're on Instagram and Facebook and everything else. This is the latest, this is the latest, this is the latest. So we're trying to cover some of the trends out there. And um, January is always our Healthy Living Month. It always is, but that's our big wellness issue. So we take a look at the top health trends for 2022, um, just kind of at a, at a macro level. And uh, it's, uh, it, you know, as to be, some of them are to be expected, but uh, probably the top trend, and we'll be exploring this throughout the months, uh, especially in our March issue, plant-based foods taking center stage. Mm. Um, you know, we've had Elizabeth Alfano on the show before. We've right. had other people on the show talking about um, just a lot of the transitions to plant-based and what that means for our diets, for our personal health, for animal health, for the health of the planet. Um you know, we've talked about CAFOs, we've talked about uh, with Karen Hudson, we've talked with Cage Free USA. So this all ties into how plant-based foods are really taking center stage now. Um, it's a trend that just keeps growing. It, 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 it's not moved backwards, which is really good news. Um, telemedicine continuing after the pandemic, a lot of wearable devices, um, mental health, destigmatizations, uh, mindfulness, a lot of different things that, that you can go and, and Mike's putting up the website right now, which would be nachicago.com. Um, another piece we're talking about is uh, how to get a um, slightly better cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, a lot of the Meaning. trends for things that you can be adding, um, different additives to your coffee. Um, you know, you might be adding some spices or coconut oil um, or cinnamon and cardamom. A lot of mushroom coffee additions right now. There's a what? lot of what? Whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like a really good way to uh, to ruin a cup of coffee by putting mushrooms in it. No, it's no, it's like a mushroom powder, a lion's mane or a mixed powders going back to the Bartlett spot oh, at the top of the hour. True, right. Which was a new one for us. Yeah, mushrooms in your trees. Reishi yeah. mushrooms. Um, not off the tree, but there's a lot of products. Or also talking about chicory and other uh, dandelion and other non-caffeine-based products for people who might not like caffeine. Right. That, and some recipes that we've got going along with that. Um, uh, look, can I ask a question? Yeah. Uh, can All right. Why? All right. I assume you can make a mushroom tea. Mm-hmm. So why would you make a mushroom coffee instead of a mushroom tea? Well, it, you can be adding a powder to your coffee. So that's the difference. Um, okay, so like it's just... Food, focus. And what, and what does it... Oh, it's a brain food. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, um, immune system boost. Uh-huh. You know, there's there's a lot of different research right now on mushrooms. And we're not talking about your button mushrooms, your portobellos per se, but no. reishi, um, lion's mane, uh, cordyceps, some of the other ones that have a lot of um, medicinal properties. Some of them go back to traditional Chinese medicine. And what else well. might you add to coffee? You mentioned some of them, but what um, else? You could be adding chicory. You could be adding some spices, like maybe making it more of um, um, a chai 
tea flavor, but into your coffee. Um, some people add other energy boosting powders. So there's a lot of different, you know, we don't touch on all of them, but we also have a, a recipe in there for something called golden milk, which is a Ayurvedic, that's a plant-based milk with spices and it's a warm drink and um, anti-inflammatory if you put turmeric in. That's anti-inflammatory. Turmeric property. is, is I, I, I'm seeing it advertised on television now as a, a big deal. A lot. Yeah, it's, it, it can be. You know, okay. and anything we always say, do your research. Right. Um, and, and you mentioned, by the way, Elizabeth Alfano, we need to have her back on the show yes, and, and talk definitely. about plant, plant-based stuff. Um, one of the items, maybe we'll get to it um, uh, in, in just a couple of minutes because yeah, let, let, we got to get to the KFC story because we, we were going to talk about it the other day and we didn't, yeah. but um, yes. And, and Diana, yes, there is a mushroom called Turkey tail and it, it is a native in our area. But again, as they said in the Bartlett spot, if you don't know what you're doing, do not pick and consume mushrooms. Yeah. Um, no. I, I would never do it because I have no experience in it. And yeah. I, I like to live for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> so if I can jump ahead to another article, um, I always bring up Cheryl DeVore. We've had her on the show. Hopefully yep. she will be back on the show. Cheryl does our natural Chicago section every month, which is always okay. exciting. This month, Cheryl is looking at nature museums offering indoor learning and exploration in the wintertime. Cool. Um, this is actually, this is a 125-year-old turtle named Big Al at the Grove Interpretive Center in Glenview. So cool. Cheryl takes a look at a lot of the places that you can go for indoor and some outdoor hiking, including the Grove in Glenview. Um, and she also chatted with the folks at the Forest Preserve District of Will County. Speaking of an upcoming show. About... Well, I'll just say in two weeks, we are going to have uh, a couple of, maybe more, at least two uh, Forest Preserve districts on the show to talk about what they're doing. The folks at Will County and the folks at Cook County are going to be here. And um, mm -hmm. and we'll, it, we're, I'm definitely going to do a series of those where we, yeah. we bring in DuPage and Lake and uh, perhaps uh, McHenry. McHenry. Um, go into India. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they they all have so many nature centers. And um, again, if you check out Cheryl's article, she's got some interesting things to say about what you can see at Plum Creek Nature Center, at Isla Lacache Museum in Romeoville, and several other locations for things to do with the kids when it gets really cold, or the adults when it gets really cold, of interactive learning and a chance to get outside. And then we've got several smaller pieces talking about um, other things happening in the forest preserves this month. Great. And if you go to the website, nachicago.com, there's a whole lot more there, too. And you can subscribe. Uh, you can pick it up free in a bunch of locations around the Chicago area. But you can also get the email, uh, the newsletter and the email and the mag delivered to your inbox. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how do people do that, Peggy? Go to nachicago.com and click on the subscribe button. And if you want it delivered to your door, there is a fee for that, but we offer that as well. And please follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and like the Natural Awakening Chicago YouTube channel. Too cool. All right. All right. All right. Here's something that I think is kind of fun. I meant to do this for last week and just it went uh, and got away from me. Um, and this is, uh, 
on the second day of this new year. Um, we went out, Kathleen and I went out with our senior amateur, what's the title again? I, I had it, it went out of my head. Naturalist. Um, yes. Um, oh, senior, senior amateur nature correspondent. That's it. And she is a, an Illinois master naturalist. And that's Mac Austin, the senior nature, uh, senior amateur nature correspondent. That's hard to remember. Uh, but at any rate, Mac Austin uh, and and Kathleen and I went to Harms Woods, and this was the day after the little bit of snow that we've had uh, came down. Oh, yeah, Harms Woods. That ties into another story we'll talk you about. You bet it does. Um, <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> that yeah, we're gonna talk about that in a second. But here, take a look at this. It's 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 kind of fun. We're at Harms Woods, part of the Cook County Forest Preserve District land and this is our senior amateur nature correspondent mac austin who's also a master naturalist what are you doing here mac i am doing um water chloride testing because we've just had a snow and the roads have been salted uh and this is for um illinois river keepers and water rangers uh and so i put the results that i find into a database that goes in is Canada, there are sites, and all across the United States, there are sites. And it is a way to figure out how the uh, salt is affecting the waterways. So the first thing we do is bend down, okay, and rinse out the little the little test thing. And then you put in a test strip. And then this takes a while, so uh, it might, might be something that you don't want to film the whole thing for because we're going to have to stand here for a few minutes. And that's the test, huh? That's the test. So then if we, yeah, it'll be definitely a few minutes before anything happens. Okay. So what you're waiting for is for this top strip that's sort of orange to turn black. Ah. And once it's black all the way across, then you read how high the uh, strip has gotten a light color here, and then that will give you the amount of chloride in the water. All right, so this is the black line going all the way across the top. Okay, and it's not completely done, but when it's completely done all the way across, then if you see this lighter color coming in from the bottom of the strip up, that is where you read and what are you seeing now? So it is almost up to five. So we would measure it at five. And the last time you were here? It was at uh, 3.2 before a snow. This is before snow and all the runoff from um, streets and sidewalks with salt yep. on them. Yep. And then you read. Uh, so I'm going to be at about five, and that would be 216CL. That's okay. about what we're at. Yeah. Wow. And there we go. Uh, that was really uh, interesting. And um, now, I can't definitely say, and neither could Mac, that there's cause and effect, but it is interesting that after a snow, 
mm-hmm. uh, the chloride level suddenly goes up. It was up higher than it was several weeks before. There could be other factors yeah, involved. Yeah, it could potentially be runoff. Yeah, it could potentially be runoff, which is, again, a reminder to folks, do not oversalt your walks in your driveways. Uh, most people put way more than they need. You really don't need very much. I, do, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but when we did the show a year ago, uh, there was a formula for how much you actually needed. I think you need like a cup for the whole driveway. Um, but people are just throwing it and throwing it and throwing it, which is why I go out and yell at my neighbors when they start salting my sidewalk. So, well, we have two minutes before Rick joins us. Okay. Um, Har- Harms Woods. Yep. And the, um, the um, I keep wanting to say Tivana, but Carvana. See, and I keep wanting to say CarMax, but it's Carvana. Um, and it's a big giant Pez dispenser that will kill birds. Nine stories high of glass. Right. And lights. Steel. Don't forget the lights. Because lights from the inside and cars that because it's not good enough for you to have a car that you drive off the lot. You need to see it going up and down in space, which will be the only time it goes up and down in space in the entire life of the car. Yeah. So go ahead. Uh, finish that. So, uh, um, Carvana is looking to install one of these Pez dispensers right across from Harms Woods near Old Orchard Shopping Center in Skokie, Illinois, um, right off of the Edens Highway. And so far, it's been pretty much full steam ahead. Yeah. With the Skokie, um, the village of Skokie. And there, I don't have it in front of me. Um, There is an online petition you can sign. I believe IEC's got one as well to bring this to people's attention. And hopefully get something to change they the company has made some concessions to change their lighting a little bit and to put a little bit of stuff on the windows but everyone's saying not enough no naturalists are saying no that's really not going to make that's right across i love the guy though on ttw had a story on it they sent somebody out to the neighborhood to talk to people in the neighborhood and some guy who was there said, well, you know, we have a lot of older folks here, the seniors that are not going to like that so much. But, you know, the millennials, they like the Vegas kind of lights. And and I'm thinking, yeah, you know, when millennials think about going to Vegas, they think about Skokie. This is exactly uh, what they do, and that's why they flock to Skokie, to get the Vegas effect. So, um, this is, and it's going to be right across the street from that beautiful woods that you saw us in that day. It was so gorgeous. I should have popped up another photograph. I forgot to throw in another one, but the, I, I was just taking the photos with the snow was just yeah. ridiculous. So they're, they're going to be used for some of my Xmas cards, uh, this coming mm-hmm. holiday season. So, all right, we need, we need to get to Rick DeMaio. Uh, we didn't get the KFC. Uh, let me just tell you, they're doing they're working with Beyond Meat uh, to do chicken nuggets, uh, except they 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 wrap them in in plant based nuggets. Plant based nuggets, right? Plant based slash chicken nuggets. They're not really chicken. They're plant based, but they still bread them in the same stuff, and they still stick them in the grease that's used for the chicken. So if you're vegan or vegetarian, you're not interested. What you know? What is the point then? Uh, but this is the future, and now I've seen. I saw an ad for it yesterday during a football game. That song "Money" out of Cabaret comes to mind. Yeah, we got to get. That's why we got to get Elizabeth Alfano on the show. She, I bet she has some interesting things to say about that. All right, Rick DeMaio coming up next. Stick around. 
Andrew at Urban Greens. Hey, this is Joel. We are an indoor hydroponics farm in the Twin Cities. We grow lettuce, greens, and herbs and deliver them year-round. And for the last year or so, we've been growing with Happy Leaf LEDs. Yeah, before that, we were using LED light bars with some of the big guys, Philips, GE. Uh, we ran into Poly a little over a year ago at a market outside yep. Chicago, and since then, we've been on the Happy Leaf train. Yep, and a year in, we are extremely pleased with how they perform for us. We have some rainbow chard here growing. We get excellent growth. The growth is quick. Leaves are thick, plants are sturdy, and uh, Happy Leaf LEDs have worked well across all of our plant varieties. Yeah, we use them for our seedlings as well, and that's honestly where we've seen some of the biggest improvements. Seedlings under Happy Leaf are coming in full and thick, thicker stems than what we've seen under the other lights we've used. to summer foliar feeding, to fall stubble digesters, Blazing Star provides microbial tools from tiny biologicals for natural and organic farmers. They have solutions for home gardeners too. And Blazing Star offers agroecological education and consulting, especially for permaculture work in zones four and five. Learn more about these great folks at blazing-star.com. And we fade up and hello, Rick. Hello, Rick. Um, not at the moment. I don't hmm. see. Well, he maybe he thought we were going to be uh, a, a little late. So well, so I'm going to go look at uh, Domenico D'Alessandro, who's been very active with Save Belmont Prairie, posted in regards to salt. Right. He says the Canadian Transportation Department has done extensive studies on the effect of salt on roads to the adjacent environment. A few years ago, I presented the data to help stop a bridge across the Fox River, close to a remnant fen where Bombus affinis was also found, along with three other rare insects. The response was that we have been living with this for many years, and they saw no issue. Then he says, with salt, it's not only the runoff, but also wind-carried dust that can travel large distances, especially from bridges. Yep. Oh, well. I'm moving boxes here. Don't mind me. I might as well just clean things Would you up like me a to little. text Rick? Uh, nah, he's going to be here any second. Um, let me just move that box. So I'll just, so I'll just do my, my cleanup work here while, while we're waiting for him. But actually I have something I can play. There we go. Um, while we're waiting for him, he may pop back in. Um, those of you who, who were watching the news probably already saw this, but it's just, um, amazing stuff. Um, from uh, the Pacific, um, and it's this uh, volcano 
that uh, exploded an underwater volcano mm. near uh, Tonga. Uh, and here is, you'll see it on the left. Boom. You can see it there on the left. This is from, wow. uh, yeah, look at that. And then the tidal wave. Now, it does. I, I haven't seen the reports this morning yet. Nothing like uh, tidal waves we've experienced in the past, but still just kind of scary to see that water rushing wow. in like that. I guess there was. You're looking yeah, at that and damaging tornadoes in Fort Myers, Florida this morning. I've got some, uh, yeah, graphics about that. Maybe that's where Rick is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was uh, stuff Rick um, just texted us during the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, let's... Uh... Fort Myers. Huh. Speaking of... Damage. Yeah. And and there he is. And Rick, we're, we're looking at uh, the water from uh, tsunamis uh, on that uh, volcano. Now, these these people scare the heck out of me here they are i know they're higher up but if i saw water rushing like that i'd probably get out of the way no 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 you do what bees do to honey you run towards it oh okay you're right with the camera of course with your cell phone of course, yeah yeah and, yeah. The, and the volume and the audio turn way up but by the way if i look weird today uh, it's because i'm i'm over at northwestern university and i tried to log on but some sort of weird firewall kept me from logging on to my computer. So I'm, I'm with you from my phone, but I think it works pretty well, doesn't it? it? Right. So far, so good. We'll see what happens. And by the way, that last one was from the Telegraph. Now, here's one one more. And Rick, you'll appreciate this. Um, this is a, a pretty amazing video from The Independent. Wow. Oh, yeah. This is... Um, yeah, this, this video from a, a boat looks like about maybe two miles, three miles offshore. Um, they were actually in the right position, so they were on the east side of the well, island. Yeah, watch this on the left side of the screen. <laughs> Boom, that lightning. Yeah, lightning. And, yeah, then, lightning and then look at this thing, this cloud coming up. Look at that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And... And the only reason why they were able to get this great video is because they were upwind of this. So the, the wind was blowing as it normally does in the tropics uh, from east to west. So they were on the east side of the island. So all the low level um, dust was blowing away from them. Uh, but I, I did a scan and I can send this to you guys at another time. But I did a scan of the upper level winds from 18 to 30 to 45,000 feet. Uh, and those winds are, are out of the west, which they typically are at jet stream level. So the good thing is that this plume actually got stretched out a little bit, not only down below 5,000 feet, uh, but also in the upper levels of the atmosphere as well. The reason why I say that is because whenever a volcano erupts of this magnitude and with that kind of dust, uh, you immediately think about the aerosols um, moving around the earth and whether or not they're gonna block sun and whether or not that's gonna have an impact on temperature. So that's one thing that I think we might be concerned about for places like maybe South America or maybe Africa in the Southern hemisphere, but I don't think it's gonna play a role in the Northern hemisphere. Okay, and I'm uh, at the moment downloading that photo 
uh, that you sent to us just a, a little while ago about what's going on in Florida. You can tell us a little bit about that <laughs> while until I get this up. Yeah, that was um, amazing stuff. I was actually up this morning um, and early this morning, and I was watching the squall line move into the uh, Tampa Bay Clearwater area. Um, and this storm, Mike and Peg, was very, um, to me, reminiscent of the March 13th to 14, 1993 storm of the century. Um, it had the same type of structure, uh, the same type of path. Um, it wasn't nearly as intense. It wasn't as far south, and it wasn't um, as large in coverage. And the reason why I say intense is you can have a small storm that's very intense, um, or you can have a large storm in size that's not that intense. This storm was about half the size of the storm of the century back in 93. Um, and that one uh, in particular produced a phenomenal squall line that moved into Florida, produced, um, I think, 10 or 12 violent tornadoes uh, that killed 44 people. Not only did the tornadoes kill people, but also the storm surge. And I remember listening to Dr. John Hope, um, famous hurricane specialist with the uh, Weather Channel, talk about the reasons why the uh, storm surge was so bad. You literally had two surges. You had one that was blown in with the south wind that pushed the water up into that kind of armpit, they call it, of Florida, that, that kind of northwest corner of the state. Um, so the water got pushed in, and then it got pushed from west to east. So it got, you actually had two different storm surges, and it had nothing to do with high tide or low tide. So you had about a 10 to 12-foot storm surge, killed a lot of people along the coast who did not know about it. And this particular squall line, which produced that tornado, Mike, that I'm sure you're going to show, um, looked very similar. I mean, this is a dramatic of a tornado as you're going to get. Uh, first off, it looks like it was taken from either – um, a tall building, because there's not many mountains in yeah. Florida, last I checked. Um, I don't know if it was taken by a drone um, or a helicopter, but I guarantee you, you're going to see a lot more video um, coming through broadband over the next several hours, um, either during the event or obviously post the event. Uh, but whether or not it was taken from someone in an airplane, I don't know. But I do see, you know, some palm trees you know, right at the bottom of the photograph, which to me says that this is probably a tall building. Um, and it looks like it was taken from the east looking west because the storm was moving in that direction. Uh, and usually when storms move through Florida, it's a one-time deal. So once they move through, you're basically in a lot of low clouds, um, low visibility and rain. So this is definitely east looking west. But the fact that you can actually see the funnel with brown on the bottom means it's tearing up um, probably, uh, you know, golf courses, uh, yards, people's, you know, homes. The fact that you can see the brown at the bottom of that, that's not a good sign. And I think closer up, you can actually see debris. So this looks like, without a doubt, high-end F2, maybe even low-end F3 damage. But this is moving through a very populated area of Florida. This is the Fort Myers area. Um, the other good thing is that it's coming through early in the morning. So obviously people are up, they're out and about. Um, last I checked, old people like to get up early in Florida. 
<laughs> so you probably had a, you probably had a lot of people nice. um, up and about. Well, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, people get up early on a Sunday morning and go to church. Not me. So I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people were able to. Well, he's not uh, actually up aware. yet. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not awake at all. Keep. I'm sorry, Greg. Um, that's okay. I'll just keep talking to the yeah, guy. Just with get, the yeah. Just yeah. Bye 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 bye. Actually, but when the I was looking that, at these texts, it, someone was inquiring: Is there another tornado forming? Is there any evidence there was two? Well, there was there was definitely one that was on the ground um, around northwest of Tampa. Uh, that was on the ground for about 15 to 20 minutes. I don't think that was wow. as bad as this one. Uh, but this one has definitely been on the ground, last I checked, for about 30 minutes. Um, and that's a long time for Florida. Yeah. Usually Florida tornadoes don't last that long. But again, this is a really, really intense storm system. Uh, the, the dew points aren't that high as they were with the event back in uh, December, which is kind of weird. Uh, but the Gulf of Mexico is pretty warm, and I saw some dew points up around 63 to 68. And you're not in the low to mid-70s. So the reason why I say that is because your supercell probably won't be as intense, but it doesn't matter. As long as you have a tornado on the ground moving through a state that has 27 million people in it, you're going to see some significant damage. Unbelievable. Uh, and I'm, and I'm going to grab the real quick, the map that you sent us about the, uh, the activity, uh, in Florida. Uh, but it's, uh, as we're talking about that, uh, you know, tornadoes in Florida, is that a part of the, uh, the, the storm that is moving up into new England now? Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's the same system. I mean, it, this thing is basically over Tennessee right now. Uh, there's a large wedge of cold air um, on the east side of the Appalachians. They always refer to that as the wedge because a lot of times that cold air that comes all the way down from New England can make it all the way in sometimes even into the Atlanta area. Uh, and last I checked, a lot of power outages uh, in Gwinnett County. I forget the other county that's the real pop, the real big populated county uh, north and west of Atlanta. But what's happening here is you have literally, literally two storms. Uh, the first one came through Friday night into Saturday, deepened uh, 30 millibars in 24 hours, and that brought a huge amount of cold air on the East Coast all the way down into, um, I mean, it was 38 degrees yesterday in Jacksonville, Florida. So the map that Yikes. you're looking at here, yeah, that's pretty cold. So the map that you're mm -hmm. looking at here um, is the squall line as it was moving into Tampa at about 530 that next notch that's on the west side of Florida, um, that's the uh, Port Charlotte, Sanibel, Fort Myers area. And then the other notch at the bottom on the right, on the left side, uh, is Marco Island. So for those people who don't know their geography, there's two large bays on the west side mm -hmm. of Florida. Uh, you have um, Fort Myers, uh, Port Charlotte area, and then further to the north, you have Tampa Bay. And that, that notch that runs... Um, inland a little bit um, on the west side of Florida. That's Cedar Key, where it begins to move back up to the north and west. That's yeah. the point where they had 12-foot storm surge uh, back in 1993. So you can see that that part of Florida, that kind of that that kind of angled-in area before you get into uh, Apalachicola, is prone to storm surge when you have these big, you know, storms that move not up the east coast, but literally across the south United, the south part of the United States. The only good thing about 
storm surge there being high is once you get north of that that third notch of Cedar Key, yeah. there's very few people who live right on the coast. It's mainly marsh um, and a lot of beach grass. So if you do have a house, you're either on stilts or you're about two or three blocks inland. You, you don't have any beachfront property once you get north of Cedar Key. Nonetheless, you're still going to get a lot of wind, and I've seen wind gusts as high as 60 to 70 miles an hour over the Gulf of Mexico with 14-foot waves. So whatever whatever beach uh, improvements they did um, over the last year or two uh, with that one storm that they had back in August, and then this one now, they're going to have to, not in August, in December, and this one now, uh, they're going to go have to go back to the drawing boards, unfortunately, and start all over again. And yeah. that's not a pretty thing to do. Uh, and uh, we got a, a note from Bruce who says he was living in Miami in 93. And I wasn't aware of uh, the storm of the century, uh, as you call it. Do, do they mean the storm of the century for Florida? Oh, no, no. That was the one that uh, produced 30 to 40 inches of snow from uh, the Appalachians all the way up into New England. That was March 13th to March 14th, 1993. Okay. Uh, killed, two, killed 270 people. Um, canceled 20,000 flights. Uh, that was the only time you had blizzard warnings um, in Atlanta. You had 8 to 10 inches of snow in Birmingham, and it was snowing uh, with a 35-mile-an-hour wind all the way down to Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, wow. Now, in 93, uh, that particular storm did not really impact Miami that much. It was more of a West Coast, Florida, up into the Jacksonville area. Now it doesn't mean that Miami didn't get bad weather, but most of the most of the deaths and fatalities occurred in the north half, northern half of the state. Yeah. All right, and we're looking at the three-day hazard map starting from last night to Monday evening, so it gives you an idea what these folks are looking at in the east part of the country. Yeah, and and what's interesting is one of the reasons why I think this storm reminds me so much of the the storm of the century in 1993. Um, by the way, which was on the anniversary of the blizzard of 1888, which was March 13th, um, this storm is kind of hugging the coast a little bit. And when storms hug the coast too much, you end up getting more of a marine influence in places like Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, New York City, and Boston. So just like back in 1993 with this storm, you're not going to get that big of an impact from a standpoint of snow or ice in your big cities. This is gonna be mainly west of those cities. Now what's great about this map is what I did was, this is a compilation of three days. So it's not just day three, it's a three day hazard map, which means it includes Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And what's really interesting about it, you look at areas of like Northern Alabama, Tennessee, Northeast part of Georgia, what they're getting this morning is freezing rain and sleep. And then what they're getting later on today, if they're not already getting it, is strong winds. So it's one thing when you get freezing rain and everything's covered with ice. But now you get strong winds. So the winds are actually bending the power lines, breaking the branches. Those branches then bring down power lines. And in addition to that, if you get then snow and wind on top of it, which we're going to do today, probably into tomorrow morning, even if you don't get a lot of it, it keeps the crews from getting to any particular places um, that have incurred, you know, power outages. So if people are like saying, hey, when are you going to get to the wires? 
all the guy has to do is, or the woman has to do is point to the wind blowing back and forth and the like, it's not safe to go in there yet. So in addition to the fact that you have freezing rain and then wind, which compounds the problem of having freezing rain, it really, it, it, it keeps the crews from getting to those affected areas um, in any short amount of time. So there are already numerous, numerous 50, 60,000 customers without power in the Atlanta area. And A, you don't have power today. So you're not going to be able to watch football. Okay. B, you won't have power tomorrow. The only good thing about that, it's Martin Luther King Day. So a lot of people probably have the day off. But in any event, you don't have power for 24, 36 hours in a place where you normally have it. Um, Most of those people probably don't have backup generators. I mean, who has a generator in a big city? Right. You just think that you flip the switch eventually and the power will come back on. So this is always going to be more of a concern and a problem for people who live in the rural south. Once uh, you get further north, Pittsburgh's going to have 12 inches of snow. Buffalo's going to get 20 inches of snow. The funny thing about it is they played football last night in Buffalo. They're not playing football in Pittsburgh. They're not playing football in Philadelphia. So, And they're not playing football in Boston, in New England. So all the big cities that are part of NFL playoffs are actually not being affected by the weather today. Hey, kind of ironic. From what I understand, uh, New England didn't play football last night either. Whoa! No, uh, no they, 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 look, they look pretty bad. And then, <laughs> and then Kansas City, Kansas City had two to three inches of snow, and then freezing rain and sleet on top of that. Yeah, the roads were terrible in and around the Kansas City area yesterday. But fortunately, they're playing today, so they'll be able to get the game in with people getting back and forth um, with no problem at all. But this is a pretty hazardous. Um, weather system, but it's mainly for areas west of the big cities. So when you look at this particular map, this is actually snow from Friday night into Sunday. Sunday, And it shows, yeah, Sunday night, basically. It pretty much shows that most of the big cities are not going to be impacted. However, um, airports like Atlanta, uh, which is a big hub for Delta, and Charlotte, which North Carolina, which is a big hub for American Airlines, You'll yeah. see huge flight delays for those airlines, but the airports such as Washington, D.C., Philly, the New York area, which is LaGuardia, New York, and or LaGuardia, JFK, Newark, um, as well as Boston, Logan, are not going to be impacted as much. Still, you're going to have probably, you know, a big, you know, news story, 2,000 flights canceled, but um, mm-hmm. the impact is going to be less than what would it be if this was more of a, a more of an offshore event. So, so, Rick, going back, just go. Mike, could you go yeah. back two maps? Yeah. Oh, two maps? I just have a oh. question. Yeah, oh, prior all right. one. Sure. Here we go. So if this is a hazard map projection, I'm just curious. It's just me looking at this. I'm looking at portions of North Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia that have these little red spots in them. Right. Is that like particular mountain passes? Or, or when they're creating a map like this, how do they say that that's going to be worse than that one little spot? And what's the color code here? Um, well, typically the, the darker shade in red is going to be the greater hazard. Um, but what but what you see probably in those areas, Peg, in like eastern um, eastern Tennessee, um, is probably just plain snow. Whereas if you get into like central Tennessee and in areas mm-hmm. of like southwestern um, North Carolina, that's probably more ice. So whenever you have okay. more ice and freezing rain. It's probably more of a hazard than it would be just snow. Um, and they is also that just from elevation as you're going through there. Or? Well, it, and 
and it, it, it's also it's also weighted population wise as well. So mm, okay. um, this is this is the new weather service or winter storm severity index. It's called WSSI. So what it does is it gives FEMA a chance to understand where their greatest um, risk is for having to respond from a standpoint of the type of weather um, and also the uh, population in that particular area. Yeah, that's a great question. All right. And then we uh, move on to the uh, Sunday to Monday to Tuesday snowfall <laughs> forecast. So it just keeps on going for a couple of days here, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What happens is the storm, and when we go through the surface maps, you can kind of show this to your viewers as well. Uh, but the storm basically stalls off the coast. So you'll end up with um, just a long period of snow on the backside of this event. This is not lake effect. So typically with these big storms, it's really hard to get cold air all the way down to the surface where it's cold enough to produce lake enhanced snow. This is just system snow. So this is gonna be a widespread 20 to 30 incher across far Northwest Pennsylvania and up in the Western sections of um, New York state. But again, you look at your big cities, two to four in DC, one to three Philly, one to three New York, one to three Boston, where most of it is gonna be inland. So from a, from a snow standpoint, the big cities are gonna kind of, um, uh, they're gonna kinda skate by with very little from this particular storm. Yeah, and you can see the warnings all up and down the East Coast here. But as you as you say, pretty much right on the coast, it's it's they're missing it. Yeah, and what Peg was referring to before, if you notice that area um, where you have that blue in in eastern Tennessee, what sometimes happens is when the winds come from the east uh, and they go over the mountains of western North Carolina, they're going from higher to lower elevation, so you almost get like what's called a downslope. So it's the mm -hmm. reverse of what you get in like Colorado where you get upslope. So you get a reverse wind flow. So you actually get you actually get less snow. And sometimes you'll see that in the Albany area when you get these big storms off the East Coast, when the snow comes in off the Green Mountains and the Adirondacks, you actually get sinking air. So you actually get less snow in those areas. Now, what's interesting is there's winter storm warnings for areas of like Northern Mississippi, but their winter storm warnings are different than our winter storm warnings. This is one of the things that the National Weather Service has changed over the years. Our winter storm warnings are generally for snow over six inches. For them, it's two to four. So Atlanta has, I think, 11 plows. So if they get two to four inches of snow, <laughs> it's a warning. So uh, yeah. places like Atlanta, places like Jackson, Mississippi, um, they're going to be uh, crippled by the storm later on today into tomorrow. And what's amazing is this thing started out up in the Dakotas where you had six to 12 inches of snow in the Des Moines area. Um, you had you know snow and freezing rain and sleet from Kansas City to St. Louis. Parts of I-80 were shut down during the day on Friday and into Saturday. And as the storm actually moved a little bit further south, it got more Gulf of Mexico moisture and then more Atlantic moisture. So it's almost like like part three now moving into the Northeast is really a remarkable system. All right. Well, let's look, uh, you know, and it, yeah, it was remarkable in the fact that it, it, it ducked below us, uh, around us in Detroit and came up on the other side. It, it, it was so interesting. Uh, and, and some of the meteorologists to their credit said, you're going to see a wall of uh, snow to the West of us. Don't worry. It's not going to hit us. And, and they were well, absolutely right. 
Um, and yeah. you, I think you said that last call. week too. Um, so here's some of the maps uh, for the web. This is uh, Sunday morning. Yeah. So in in a map like that, the red for Florida is severe weather. Uh, the green is obviously rain. The orange is uh, freezing rain. And then the purple um, is freezing rain and sleet. And the blue is snow. So uh, this is the map then that with the next one will take the storm up the coast. Um, and again, it it slows down. And when storms slow down, wherever you're getting snow, you're getting a lot of it for a long period of time. So you're going to easily see some reports in the higher elevations of North Carolina, Virginia, um, and and hope the snow falls so hard that it crashes in Joe Manchin's garage or roof or whatever. Um, boy, is that guy a turncoat or what? Uh, but I hope I hope this is the worst storm in the history of West Virginia because they deserve it, right? He's a dink, uh, but other than that, he's a swell Are fella. You- yeah, you you could you can uh, you can uh, supplant that N with the with the letter C there. I'm fine with that as well. Okay. Um, anyway, moving uh, right along. Moving to uh, Monday. Yeah. So notice how the the low is now basically occluded. It's literally over northwest New Jersey. So all the cold air has basically been um, eroded, and now you just well, I should say all the warm air coming in from the ocean has now been eroded, and it's all cold. So the entire system is now just basically snow. But again, um, this is all to the west of the low. So your big cities, again, are not going to get much out of this. So the wind will finally begin to subside, probably not until late tomorrow afternoon uh, for the Atlanta area, which means it those places, not just in Atlanta, but like in the far western so- sections of like Columbia, South Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina, Greenville, Charlotte, all of those places that have sleet and freezing rain, um, the crews are not going to be able to get to these areas and do anything until probably Monday night at the earliest, if not Tuesday morning. So a lot of times it's not just the event itself, uh, but it's the actual event after. I remember the worst natural disaster in the history of Kentucky uh, was an ice storm back in the early 2000s. Kentucky is a very a very hilly state, very rural. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no place to bury their power lines. So with all the power lines being above ground and it being incredibly hilly, uh, they could not get to some of the down power lines uh, for almost a week. So you're going to be hearing, and I predict this, you're going to be hearing people literally without power for four, if not five days in some parts of the of the Mid-South. And you got other stuff too. Uh, our guest uh, from the first part of the show, uh, has a house in upstate New York. And just before we went on air, she was getting a text that her pipes had burst uh, in New York. So that's how not... Far, how, far, how far upstate? That's uh... I don't know near exactly. Woodstock. She said near Woodstock, Hudson oh, Valley. Oh, that's right. She did. She did say Woodstock. Okay. okay. Yeah. So um, in that area, which is just southwest of Albany, uh, for the last probably 36 hours, they have not been above 10 degrees Fahrenheit. And they had a low of almost 10 below um, Saturday morning. And my brother texted me from uh, the mountains in Pennsylvania. He was seven below this morning. So most likely she was probably colder than he was. But, you know, it's not how cold you are. It's how long the cold lasts. Yeah. So, yeah, first pipes, man, that sucks. That's not fun. (laughs) Anyway, so we get into Tuesday here. 
Yeah, so Tuesday, uh, if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. Um, sorry, I had to put that in there. Of course. Um, so, so this storm is now well up over the, uh, the northeast part of um, or the southeast part of Canada. Uh, but in its wake is a huge clipper system that moves into the upper Midwest, and we get warm. Uh, now, granted, there's a lot more snow in the ground now across parts of Iowa and Missouri. So I don't think we're going to get as warm as what it looked like a couple of days ago, which means that air, is, that air now has to move across snow cover. But still, it looks like we're going to easily get into the mid to upper 30s, if not 40 degrees around here uh, by Sunday. And it's funny because even though we had an inch of snow. By Tuesday, uh, you mean? Like, by, by Tuesday? Yeah, by Tuesday, yeah. yeah, okay. um, yeah. We'll, we'll be probably, I don't know, upper upper 20s, maybe low 30s tomorrow. Uh, but we'll get nice and warm on, on uh, Tuesday. Um, and then Wednesday, we'll probably still be in the mid-30s. And then this map here shows the Arctic blast coming through Wednesday night and into Thursday. So Thursday, the day will really tank. And look at the size wow. of this high-pressure system. Yeah, this is huge. So... For anybody who doesn't have their power on in the southeast, they're going to cool down again Thursday night uh, or Thursday night into Friday. So when this system, when this cold air mass comes down into the northern plains, uh, this is going to produce below zero weather for us probably Thursday night into Friday. But Thursday during the day, we'll probably be only in the mid-teens. And again, this is the coldest week of the year. But again, when you look at this map, there's zero chance of snow. So as I said last week, we were going to go seven days without an inch of snow. We got one inch of snow. We're well, going to go literally another seven days without an inch of snow. In fact, if you look at the seven-day precip forecast, there's nothing over us, zero. I mean, we're basically in northwest flow between now and probably the end of the month. So here we are, the 15th of – no, the 16th, right? Today's the 16th? Yeah, today's the 16th. Um, of January, we're going to make it to the 23rd of January um, with only six inches of snow so far for the season, which would put us on track to be at the same place we were last year at this time. Now, granted, we didn't have yeah. much and snow in the month the of snow. November, December. <laughs> right. And then we got 40 inches. We got 40 inches in a matter of, you know, three weeks. Um, could that happen? Absolutely. Um, do I see it happen at this point? Mm, I don't. I know, but we'll we'll see how things go. Bottom line is, if you make money on on plowing snow, you're not going to make money over the next seven days. If you make money on fixing people's pipes and hanging power lines, there's a job waiting for you in the East Coast. There, there you go. Um, and I wanted to show you uh, before we get out of here one more photo that I took earlier this week. This is one of the most amazing things uh, that I've ever seen in my neighborhood. That is just completely glazed yeah. ice. I mean, it, yeah. a couple of days after we got that that little snow, yeah. well, it was after the big snow, and then the the cold weather set in, and it had all packed down. You couldn't walk on that. You were taking yeah. your life in yeah. your hands by walking on in your own alley. Now, the the the. I saw the, a video somebody posted on social media of somebody skating down an alley with hockey skates. You could have. <laughs> you could have here. Yeah. I should have gotten my skates out. Uh, it was, yeah, I, it was I think, terrifying for two days. For two days, it was like this. Yeah, this this was the freezing rain event that came in Saturday night. Right. Um, and and you know, 
I know the Weather Service did a really good job with a winter weather advisory because they thought they were only going to get like 0.05 inches, but we got like almost 0.15 to 0.2. This could have easily been a freezing rain advisory because this was the most freezing precipitation I've seen around here in probably 10 years. Yeah. And and granted, it was only in a small part of Northeast Illinois, but what happened was it fell on top of snow that had been packed down from the January 1st event. So it was really easy for the rain to kind of find all those different crevices. So it wasn't just like rain on top of like virgin concrete. It was rain on top of snow that was packed down. So it was almost like you were putting another layer of ice on top of ice. Yeah. And I think that's why it was so slick. But I agree with you, Mike and Pig. Uh, the alleyways, the sidewalks, you, you couldn't walk anywhere. Um, it yeah. was about as bad as I've ever seen it. Um, and because it stayed so cold after that, it only got packed down even more. Um, and it's still and in some areas, spots. Mm -hmm. I was just about to say that, Pig. It's still yeah. like that. Now, the good thing about the cold, I was down at the lakefront yesterday, and I just, when I walked up um, the lakefront to Northwestern this morning, the lake is frozen. There's pancake ice out easily to about two or three miles. And right wow. at Lee Street Beach, there's four to five foot piles of ice, which is fantastic. Because when you get that east wind and that pancake ice kind of builds those weird looking mounds of, of ice and snow or frozen slush, this is a natural buffer for the beaches. So this is good news. So what we need right now is a couple of days of east winds, which I don't think we're going to get. We're going to get more of a northwest wind, which kind of sucks. Uh, but the bottom line is if we can get a couple of days of a little bit of an east wind and push that pancake ice under the shoreline, that's the natural buffer that we um, that we get. And by the way, anybody who wants to go out and walk on that slushy, icy snow, um, unless you want a wet foot like I got yesterday, don't do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think experience this, Rick. <laughs> you would think I would know better, but you know, what are you gonna do, right? What are you gonna do? Well, I gotta tell you something. The the internet connection there at uh, Northwestern is very good. So it it held up just great. In fact, uh, that's what, that's what sixty thousand dollars a year gets you, right? I right. Put t grab the modem there and take it home. Okay, is what I'm gonna tell you to do. <laughs> While nobody's looking. I'll tell them that you told me to do that. Okay, yeah. you do that. I'll, I'll take the heat for it. All right, Rick, have a great week. Uh, uh, and, and, and the bottom line, obviously, uh, slightly warmer for the next few days. No snow, no precip, and then the bottom falls out at the end of the week. And next week, we'll talk about all that other information that I sent you about climate for 2021, right? I got it. I'll leave it up here uh, so we we can talk about that. And uh, you t we're talking about the coldest week of the year. Uh, some people say that sometimes uh, January 21st is the most miserable day of the year. Um, it happens to be my birthday. Yeah, and what day would that be, Mike? Yeah, yeah. The most miserable day of the year is my birthday. So just so you know, uh, in more ways hey, than one. one. One quick thing real quick. So, okay. In uh, case real... you guys missed that, Mike's birthday, January 21st. There you go. <laughs> I'll remember that twice. Um, but, but Peg, you, you could be appreciative of this, right? You notice now it's like 4.50 and the sun is still up? Oh, yeah. Yesterday was like, wow, look at that. Especially when there's, yeah. uh, when there's some sunshine outside, too. That helps.
when there's sun and there's snow on the ground, the sunsets have been unbelievable the last mm -hmm. uh, week or so. And and I think yeah. I think we'll continue to see that over the next three or four days. So um, do what I did this morning. Get yourself nice and warm. Go out for a half hour walk and embrace this time of the year because um, days like this, you know, this is what winter's about in the Midwest, right? It sounds yeah. great. I'm Absorb going up to Rogers. Yeah, I'm going up to Rogers Park later. <laughs> I think I'll go walk by the lake. All right. Have a Happy great birthday, Mike. Thank you. I'll uh, talk to you next week. Sounds uh, good. All right. And in case you folks missed it, yes, January 21st. Send uh, uh, presents and, and I'm, hot chocolates. And I don't care. Really, I don't care. Hey, I want to thank everybody on the show today. Robin Frohart, uh, award-winning artist and puppet designer. Blair Thomas from the uh, Chicago International Puppet Theater Festival. Marta Thomas. Marta Thomas. Ma it says Marta Marta, Marta Key. I know, and I'll tell you later why it says that. Okay. <laughs> from the Illinois Recycling Foundation. Thanks to Kathleen somewhere in Rogers Park, Legata and Basil the dog. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.